musical makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. This is the Conquer Local podcast, a show about billion-dollar sales leaders, marketers leading local economic growth, and entrepreneurs that have created their dream organizations. They want to share their secrets, giving you the distilled version of their extraordinary feats. Our hope is with the tangible takeaways from each episode, you can rewire, rework, and reimagine your business. I'm your host, George Leith, and on this episode, truly one of the most passionate speakers on sales we've ever had. We finally welcome Keenan. As CEO of a sales growth company, he's helped organizations increase sales 300%. He's positioned companies to raise millions of dollars in funding. He rebuilt sales cultures implemented ABM strategies, built sales teams for multi-million dollar mergers, and stopped negative sales growth for all types of companies from startups to Fortune 25. I've been following Keenan for years, and I truly believe his book, Gap Selling, is something that every salesperson should read or listen to on an audiobook. You can see his passionate daily videos by following the hashtag KeenanVids on LinkedIn. But today, we're going to give you the whole unedited package. Get ready, Conquerors. Keenan is coming up next on this week's episode of the Conquer Local Podcast. Finally, Keenan is on the Conquer Local podcast. Keenan, I've had you on the list for years and we've been trying to get your attention. So thank you for uh, taking us up on this opportunity. We went through your agents and your assistants and your team and we now have you on the show. And, and one of the reasons is I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. I uh, didn't read your book. I listened to your book a number of years back and uh, I highly recommend uh, that as well to our listeners to just get the audiobook because then you get Keenan and all all his greatness because I, I can read the words, but when you present them, they get a whole other level of passion to them. So thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, man. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. Uh, doesn't suck. You live in Vail, Colorado. So uh, thanks for not being on the ski hill today to join us. Um, and I want to talk about, um, you know, we could talk about a lot of stuff, but I want to specifically talk about your uh, love of CRMs, um, and you know you've you've talked about it a bunch. I've listened to some of your uh, vignettes that you have on your LinkedIn profile, but you believe that the only way you can be a great salesperson, if I'm reading between the lines correctly, is if you've got a CRM. So tell us about that. Yeah, hey, look, I, I want to go on the record for. I'll let you use the word CRM. I don't really give a f what it is, okay? But but for the for lack of a universal term, we'll go with CRM. If you want to put that shit on a piece of paper, I think it's it's a monumental failure because it's hard to find, but I'm still willing to accept that. So using the term CRM as a moniker, I, I, the reason I believe it is great salespeople sell on data. And we don't talk about this enough, okay? They sell on data. Every single prospect, buyer, customer, whatever the f you want to call them, right, has their own story. Everybody listen to me. 
They have their own story, and their story is the whole description of where they are today, what's going on in their life, what's going on in their world, what problems they're facing, the impact those problems are having, how it's manifesting on their business, on their life, on their relationship, on their customers, on their employees, on their, on their financials. Like, I don't care. And every story is different. And your job is to understand that story. What is going on? How is it affecting them, et cetera? And if you don't document that shit, you can't sell to it and you don't know. It's like a doctor who sees 25 patients a day for a year. And you came in on a Thursday on the 19th and they found some things wrong and they found some things that were hurting you, but they weren't deathly yet. And then they don't write any of that shit down. And you come back two months later, like, oh, why are we here? What was going on? And I don't know what's happening. Are you high? Like, you would lose your shit if that's what a doctor did. But that's what we do to our customers every day. We don't take good notes. We don't understand. We don't put it in the CRM. We don't put it in a logical order. And so you don't know what's going on within days, days after actually having a conversation with your buyer. Well, I, I 100% agree with that. And I also have made the error of, I'm just going to write down in a little book that I never go back to. That's it's all, so old school. But let, let's get to another thing that I think you're going to, like, you know, we're going to learn a bunch in the next, you know, few minutes here that we get to spend together. But isn't getting to those stories about asking the right questions and then shutting up and listening and, and finding out those stories? What are some tactics around getting to that? So, so yes, a hundred percent. Like again, people talk all the time about discovery and how important it is, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is, very few people or very few organizations or trainings, whatever you want to call them, truly have defined what good discovery is. Well, except gap selling. I mean, the whole, almost the whole book leads on that because at the end of the day, that's the most important piece. You crush discovery appropriately, the rest of the sale is almost a cakewalk. Right. So they don't they always oh you gotta get the need, you gotta find the pain, blah, blah, blah. It's all bullshit because they don't go nearly deep enough. Right. So because of that, the best way to do it is first off to, to really get someone to define what good discovery is. And good discovery is understanding where the problems exist and what the problems are that your product or service can solve. So in other words, I'm gonna like it to a doctor again. Look, all doctors at the end of the day, if you have a friend who's an orthopedic surgeon, yeah, he could help you a little bit on sort of understanding. If you, if you got a cold, you got something with your chest, he could say it could be this, could be that. You need to go talk to a specialist. But at least they have enough background information to put you in the right box, right? But the truth of the matter is that's not their specialty. So they don't know what questions to ask. They can only go so deep, right? And so it's the same thing with salespeople, right? If I'm an orthopedic and you come to me and, uh, and I know it's a knee problem, I have a bazillion questions I can ask you. And I know before you walk in because I know exactly what the problems look like. I know how they manifest. I know the impacts they have, et cetera, so I know where to go. Same thing in sales. We have something in Gap Selling called the PIC, the Problem Identification Chart. We advocate, and I advocate, that you need to have written down all the problems your product or service solves, the impacts it can have on an organization, the root causes of those problems, and salespeople need to study that more than your stupid product. Because once you have a powerful and in-depth understanding of the problems a prospect has, in your space, how those problems manifest themselves, what the root causes are, um, what the impacts to an organization is, how they define them, how they measure them, what is good, what is bad, what's an appropriate measurement, what's not an appropriate measurement, what's below the benchmark. When you understand all of that, it's natural and easy to ask the questions. But the problem is most sales organizations don't train the people on that, and so they don't know what the problems are. 
They don't know how they manifest themselves. They don't know what the root causes are. So they don't know what questions to ask. Well, and I think that, you know, you've covered a couple of items. We need to be able to document the data so that we can pull it up when we need to as we're moving through that buyer's journey. But yep. we got to ask the right questions to get the information. Yep. So let me run a scenario by you. I think you'll you'll find this humorous. We got a, a young seller, just started with our company about two years ago. He's six to eight months into his career, comes to me, wants some one-on-one -on -one coaching. So we'll go to the old guy, get some coaching. And he sat down and he said, you know, I was crushing it for the first 120 days. And then it started to do this. So I went back and listened to a few of his calls. Thank the Lord, we have all this great technology where it will transcribe the call and I can go through it. And in a very short period of time, I found you're not taking the time to understand their problems. He goes, I know what their problems are. I said, yeah, but you're rushing it through the pipe and not building rapport. They don't trust you because you haven't went through those steps. Now, there is a set of processes that we need to go through, uh, even if we know the answer to the problem. If we've become proficient and we know the answer, how would you um, articulate that to sales folks to, to remember to put that time in? So the first thing I would tell you right now is we don't know the problem. And that is the problem. We think we know the problem. And this goes back to what I said before, right? Before I said that um, every single customer has a unique set of problems. Every customer is different. Remember I said that? Yes. So when you go in and you say, oh, I know the problem, let's just say they sell um, uh, financial software that gets back, a, um, uh, gets them more AR. I'm making this shit up, right? Mm -hmm. So the salesperson goes, I know what the problem is. They're losing too much AR. No, you don't know the problem. And that is the problem because every customer is different. So yeah, they may be losing AR, but how much? How's it affected them? Uh, what can't they buy? What didn't? What, what weren't they able to purchase? Um, what um, did they have, lose any bills? Did they lose a line of credit? Like that's the problem, not the fact that they're losing AR, but the unique impact to them because they lose the AR. How much are they losing? That you'll never know if you don't ask questions. So here's an example I like to use all the time, right? and I call it marriage questions. And I do this in my training. So, George, if I went to you and I said, okay, George, um, uh, don't answer these questions. Well, here, answer this question. If I asked you, are you happy in your marriage? What are you going to tell me? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, in a salesperson, if I ask you, do you like this? Do you like this? Is this working? That working? 99% of the time, you're going to say yes, right? Correct. Now, watch what I do here. Now, don't answer any of these questions, George, but I want you to think them. Okay. So, George, when's the last time you and your, your spouse got in a fight? When's the last time you, she or you called each other a name? When's the last time you came home with, with flowers or something really special just for no reason? Wasn't anniversary, wasn't birthday, just came home and said, I love you and gave flowers or something special. When's the last time you cooked a meal or planned a date or did something that she was completely unexpected? When's the last time she did that for you? When's the last time you were intimate? When's the last time, uh, how frequently are you intimate in comparison to earlier on your, in your whatchamacallit? Um, when's the last time you slept on the couch? Uh, when's the last time you fought over money? How often do you free, uh, fight over money? When's the last time you talked bad about it to your friends? When's the last time she talked about bad about you to your friends? Now, if I actually got you to answer those questions, would I know if you had a good marriage or not? Yes. Yes. It Without doesn't matter what you think anymore. The minute I get the answers to those questions, I now understand where your marriage is, right? So, same thing with this, this whatchamacallit. He thought you had a bad marriage, and maybe you did, but he doesn't know how bad. He doesn't know where it's bad. He doesn't know how long it's been bad. He doesn't know if your wife feels it's bad. And so therefore, if you don't know all of that underlying shit, you don't know anything. So you don't know the problem. You don't know the fucking problem. 
That's the problem. Salespeople are so damn narcissistic and self-centered and think they know everything. And the truth of the matter is we're a bunch of dipshits. Dipshits who are being pushed by sales managers to make quota, to drive some number, to make Wall Street happy, to make the CEO a bunch of cash. And really, truth be known, couldn't give two shits about the problems they're trying to solve for the customers, how the customers are reeling, how they're unable to make their numbers, how they're struggling, and we're supposed to help them like doctors. But instead, all we give a shit about is how do I make my goddamn quota? That's the problem. Mic drop. <laughs> well, I love it. And you're, you know, you're preaching to the choir on uh, all of those items. I now want to pivot because there was a couple of different topics that I wanted to get to. So thanks. Thanks for that. And you validated a lot of stuff that I've been thinking that we've been talking about on this show with others for years. I want to talk about coaching. Um, and I, you know, I've said something years ago, we're five seasons into this show. And, uh, I said something years ago, there are no bad staff. There are just bad managers. And then people will be like, Oh, well, wait a minute. What about this? And what about that? And what about this? And I'm like, if you're running the team, the team goes where the manager leads them to. And if there's a problem in there, that's solely on the shoulders of the manager. So I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I want to get into coaching and management and leadership. I disagree. I believe I be, okay. I believe that coaching is a oh god. I usually have pretty good words, but this one I'm struggling on is a bilateral engagement or you know bilateral engagement. It, it, it's a collaborate. It's a collaborate. It's a collaborative environment. There we go. I'll go with that. Coaching, in my opinion, is a collaborative environment. There is absolute truth to you can lead a horse to water. Absolute truth. And so I have as much responsibility to learn how to coach you in a way that is gonna maximize your ability to grow and learn. You have a responsibility as a coachee to want to learn, to actually put in the effort to expose yourself to criticism, to expose yourself to opening, to expose yourself to feedback, and to take it in and change your behaviors. And if you don't wanna do that, not my problem. And to every coaching organization out there who thinks it's one-sided, you because you're the problem because what you do is you create an environment now watch what i do here george i know you believe that so i still love you but what you do when you don't put accountability on both parties is you give the coach e the opportunity to become a victim blame the coach and then not only continue to the bad behaviors but double down on why they're not bad behaviors and the minute we do that it's done it is done, and there is no role for coaches anymore. And you know where we're seeing it? In peewee sports. That's exactly where we're seeing it. The parents do not want to accept the, the coaching that the kids are getting. They don't like the fact that their kids are made uncomfortable, and that's a coach's job to make kids uncomfortable, or, or not kids, but the coachee. The whole point of coaching is, hey, I see opportunity for growth. I see areas you can improve. I see areas you're not doing as well. That should make you uncomfortable, right, unless you're completely coachable. The completely coachable person thrives on that. They realize, telling me I just did something great, there is no room for improvement there. Telling me where I just messed up and where I can improve is where I grow. Oh, my God, give me more of that, please. That's what you want. The dumbass who doesn't want to hear that, no, 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 no. And that's what Pee-wee's all about, and that's why Pee-wee Sports are getting Right? Well, let me, let me go back to, I want to debate this a little bit because I, I think actually we're closer on this. If, if we're hiring somebody and we feel that they're not coachable, like that if they're not willing to take the feedback because they're not looking to grow, if they think they know everything, then why would we even bring them into the team? Okay, agreed. That, the, so that's not coaching to me. That's leadership. Okay. Right? So 100%, 100% as leaders, we own it if we hire people who aren't coachable. 
100%. I heard your question as from a coaching perspective, right? So I separate coaching from leadership. Well, I, I'd love to understand that, Keenan, because I think that's a great lesson for the folks that are, that are listening, that are leading teams. Why do you separate those two things? Because I think, I think leadership is your ability to make decisions that maximize the ability of the team as a whole, pick talent, see strategy, implement processes, um, uh, create inspiration, um, remove hurdles. Like I think that's leadership. Coaching to me is a subset of leadership, I guess. I mean, I don't want to create a hierarchy or not, but you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a subset of, co- of leadership. And it's my ability to develop you as an individual. Once I've determined you should be on the team, once I've determined you have the skill set, once I've determined you have the, you're uh, an athlete I want, if you're using athlete in the general terms, right? So once I've done that, that's my job is to grow you. And I say this a lot as well, and this is where a lot of people mess up. Leadership is about evaluation, right? Judgment. You're, I, your sports is easy. I think you're, you should be on the team, you should be on the team. Or in business, I think you should be on a team, you should be on the team because I assess or, or judge your talent. Coaching is evaluation and feedback. And I say it all the time, never judge in coaching. Don't say you're bad, this was bad, you f***ed up. No, 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 no. Coaching is, hey, you did this, I saw that, I saw this behavior, this is the outcome that you got from that behavior or that skill. My daughter's a mogul skier, for instance. Babe, I saw you turning a little early in the top of the mogul because of that, that was creating this. I know your goal is to be able to go more direct, so why don't you try this instead, it'll get you this result. That's coaching, right? It's not like a performance review. I ask people all the time, you coach? Yeah, totally. We have performance reviews at the end of the year. And I listen to the calls and I tell them they screw. No, no, no. There's no judging in coaching. Only evaluating. Big difference. There's judging in leadership. I don't think you're good enough. I don't think you're fast enough. You're not cutting it. We have to remove you from the team or you're the best. I'm going to start you. Leadership is judgment. Coaching is evaluation. The two should never come together. No, I love that. That that is some great advice. And more often than not, it does come together. Um, sitting with a, a young sales manager, we've you know our company's growing like crazy. We've got all these uh, up and comers. They're moving into management positions. Probably first time that they've ever been in that position. And I was working with one of them last week, and we put in a, a coaching methodology, and it was that it was like an epiphany. Smart guy, and he was like. Where has this been? Why haven't I had this? Um, he, he was really under the opinion that the weekly one-on-one was all that he had to invest in the rep. And he only had eight reps. And I'm sitting here going, you got 40 hours. I'm actually expecting you to work a hell of a lot more than that. Um, show me what you're investing into your team. Show me what you're investing into the individual rep outside of the one-on-one, which is actually supposed to be their meeting, according to people ops. Do you find that a lot that people, you know, they're not really measuring the amount of time that they're putting into that coaching, that one-on-one coaching moment? hundred percent, hundred percent. Almost every organization I've ever dealt with believes that the one-on-one is coaching. Now, excuse me. Um, I am seeing more people coaching using, um, uh, exec vision gong and chorus, like, you know, video. And I like it, although I don't get to see as many of the actual observable moments. Like I don't, I don't see their notes. I don't see the one-on-one, but I do know they're doing it. Um, but no, they don't do it nearly enough. You know, here's the problem. It's an age old problem. They're still trying to do their job. Right. Most frontline managers are still trying to do the salesperson's job. They still, they, the, the sales rep calls them and says, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? Can you come sit on this call? How like they're still pres- very prescriptive, right? They're not really providing the observations and the descriptions of the behavior and encouraging and helping them grow as individuals. And what, uh, what about the, if we look at across a team of eight reps 
and you're the you're the leader, you're the coach. Um, where are you investing your time? And this is an age old debate. Do I invest it with the top two reps that are making up 80% of my revenue? Or do I invest it in the middle and try to move some of those into that top tier? Or do I work with the brand new ones that I was just given to fill in a headcount number? Like where, I know it's probably all, but what, what would your advice be to a coach if they were working with a team like that on where they invest their time? So I'm going to surprise people. I'm going to say none of the above. Okay. Right. So what this is hard, what I'm about to say, but the best do it. And this is where leadership and um, coaching come together. It's not about do I coach the top 10, 20 percent or the middle or the bottom. It's none of that. It's I want to coach the, those with the most potential to grow. That's who I want to coach the most. Okay. And so therefore what I need to be doing is constantly evaluating how much upside is in my team. Right. And where am I going to coach it upside? Right. So here's where it, it does fit your model. If I've got someone who's in the top tier and there's very little upside, let's say Tom Brady, I'm going to coach him, but I don't need to coach him that much because they're probably coaching themselves just as much. Right. So I'm, I'm going to be like a peer support, like a co-pilot. If you're one of my top producers and I've assessed that you literally get it, you're at the top of your game, you're nailed it, you could do my job, you could, you could be, you're one of the best of all time, right? Like you're Tom Brady, then yeah, I'm still coaching you, but I don't need to coach you 24-7. It's much more nuanced. And by the way, because you're that good, you're coaching yourself. You're coming to me saying, hey, Keenan, watch this film with me. I think I did this. What do you think? Are you great? Like, Peyton Manning is another example. They've already diagnosed it themselves. They probably diagnosed it right, and they're just asking for my feedback, right? Those people, not so much. If I have someone who's has very little left, and they're at the bottom of the barrel, and they're not performing, guess what? I'm figuring out how to get the out. Like, if you've maxed your potential, good on you. I'm proud of you. Like, I really am. Like, you can only be the best you you can. Like, you put me on a football team tomorrow in the NFL. I'm a decent athlete, and I could get in shape, and I could do this much. But I can tell you, my ceiling, will, especially at 54, will never be enough for the team. So don't waste a minute coaching on me. And it's not because I'm not coachable. I just don't have it to get there. So get them out. The people in the middle, same concept. Those who have tons of upside and they're in the middle, that's where you're going to spend most of your coaching. Because they have tons of upside and they're not completely producing yet. So you want to get them from Mac Jones, right? You want to get Mac Jones up to Tom Brady. So he's, he's in the middle. He's got tons of potential. Spend a shitload of time on him. And then the people in the middle who don't have a lot of potential – a little bit of time. If you can't get them up, get them out. You know, and the thing I do like about those sales intelligence tools is it will tell you if your Tom Brady's are watching a lot of tape. And by the way, I've heard this, not sure if it's true or not. Tom Brady watches more tape than anyone in the yeah. profession. Yep. That's Coaches himself. That's what they say. Yep. Mm-hmm. 65,000 copies, Keenan, of your book, Gap Selling. It is a go-to for most salespeople. If we want it, if, you know, people are like, I want more of this Keenan stuff and I'm happy that he swears more than George does. How do they get more Keenan? Where do we find you? You can go to salesgrowth.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm a Keenan and you can find me in YouTube. If you want a lot of videos, YouTube, we got tons of them out there. Um, so yeah, YouTube, salesgrowth.com. And you can go Keenan. If you can't find me, I don't know what to say. If you really go Jim Keenan or you go Keenan, Keenan, Google, and you can't find me, you got bigger problems that I can't help you with. 
Well, that's absolutely right. Like your browser isn't working. You don't have internet connection or something because you are everywhere. And thank you very much for the learnings today. That was great. I love the debate. Appreciate you taking some time out. And uh, we can tick that one off the bucket list. Having Keenan on the Conquer Local podcast has been a dream of mine for a couple of years. So I really appreciate your time. Did it meet your expectation? It exceeded my expectation. I was expecting a few bleeps that we'll have to put in there, but uh, you it was great. No, I love the passion, man. We're, uh, we're kindred spirits. Great meeting you, and thanks for being on the show. Pleasure was mine, baby. Pleasure was mine. One of the key takeaways from this episode is Keenan's passion. Absolutely. He is passionate about the things that he believes in. But I have to agree that CRM, the place where the data is stored on your customers, you know, as he mentioned, it's like going to a doctor, spilling out your health issues, and you come back a month later and they, it's like they've never met you before. It really erodes trust when we're not able to go back and reference information that we've learned about our prospects and customers over a period of time. You want to apply this lesson to your clients. Install the trust and pay attention to their unique situation. But you'll notice that I poked even deeper around, it's not just about getting the data and documenting, it's about asking the right questions to find the right information. He spent a lot of time talking about Every business is unique. They have a unique situation. And I love that analogy around, you know, do you have a happy marriage? And then you ask some follow-on questions. A lot of times when I listen to calls of junior sales reps that have just started in the industry, I mean like five years or less experience, they have a tendency not to ask those follow-on questions. And you heard from Keenan why that's so important because every customer is unique. And then we got into a bit of a battle there, which I love, around leadership and coaching. And he didn't necessarily agree with my assessment that there are no bad staff, there's just bad managers. I think he kind of came around to what I was talking about, or maybe that's just the way that I saw it in listening back to it. But leadership is about evaluation and there's going to be a judgment. Coaching is about the evaluation of feedback where we guide individuals through situation and we try to keep judgment out of coaching. If you like Keenan's episode all about CRMs and coaching, let's continue the conversation with another couple of episodes. Episode 442, Mastering Predictive Sales, Data and Instinct with Dechibo's Chris Botarenko. Great episode. Or episodes 305 and 306, Jason Forrest. I'm a big fan. We did part one and part two around the four mental leashes of sales. Those all tie into the message that we had today from Keenan. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And once again, I'd like to thank you for joining us this week on the Conquer Local Podcast. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast presented by Vendasta. Guest discovery by Jacob Soley. Marketing by Rory Lawford and Nicole Lozon. Produced by Brett Clarenbach. Executive producers Brendan King, George Leith, and Colleen McGrath. Recorded at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.